we are going to do an overview this morning of the book of James. So you'll need to get your Bible out, open up to James. And I'm, we're going to do something that maybe, I don't know if you've ever done it before in our church. We had never done it until I decided to do it with the book of James. We're going to read the whole book together um, as a way of getting an overview of the book of James. It's going to take about 12 minutes, so it's not that long. Hopefully by having three of us reading, it'll make it a little bit easier to stay engaged. And you have an assignment, so you cannot be a passive listener. I need you to be listening as you're, as you're reading along for what is the main point of the book of James. What is the book of James all about? Why did James decide to write the letter of James? So I want you to be listening for that. And then when we're done reading, I'm going to ask you to actually, we're going to do audience participation. I want you to tell me what you think as we read it. What, what are the themes in the book of James? What's the big picture of the book of James? Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin reading in James 1.1. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we begin this morning by praying that you would heal Albert, Lord, that your spirit would be on him, that you would strengthen him physically, um, that you would heal his body and give him refreshment today. And Lord, I pray that as we gather here today and have the just amazing privilege to have a copy of your written word in our hands, I ask that you would speak to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what we read today. I pray you would help us to believe what we read today. Help us to love what we read today. And then, Lord, I pray we'd live it. And we would live it in a way that would bring you much glory. As we read even right now, I pray for attentiveness. I pray that you would help us from distraction. Bind the enemy who wants to play with our minds when we should be engaged with you. And I ask that you would... uh, Help us to see your word for as good and glorious as it really is. Do this for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love the neighbor as your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who were to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it then, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs them. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitterness, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes, from, comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in your last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in the, on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. The word of the Lord to us this morning. So what'd you hear? I need you guys to participate with me and tell me what you think the book of James is about. Who will go first? Say it louder. Faith. Faith. Perfect. Faith. I know you all can't read this, but maybe some of you can. Shout it out. Okay, practical. I'll just put the word practical. Someone else. Oh, yeah. A lot about the tongue, huh? Big old trouble. Say it louder. Endurance. Good. What else? Works. Good. Wisdom, excellent. A lot about wisdom. Okay, good. Double-minded. Anything else? Okay, being active as opposed to passive. There's a lot in there about Monet. What else? Humility. What else? Well, there's warnings. There's humility. Good. And warnings. All right. We could probably come up with some more. Life is short and unpredictable. Judging. Good. Perseverance. Perseverance. 
I don't know how to spell perseverance. And there is stuff about suffering right at the beginning. A lot about prayer in James. Good. You guys need to warm up a little bit. There's probably more we could put up there, right? Good. Well, let's jump in and find out what ties these all together. Want to do that? Let's figure out what, what is James about big picture that would make sense of all these things that seem like they are very uh, disconnected. Let's do that. The year was 1752 when Robert Robinson heard George Whitfield preach. He repented of his sins and put his faith in Christ. Some five years later, in 1757, Robertson wrote a hymn that we sing often. Anybody know what hymn Robert Robinson wrote? Any of you hymn people? Come thou fount, with a line that we often sing that goes like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, perhaps what you don't know about Robinson was that it's likely that at the end of his death, at the end of his life before he died, that he actually wandered from the faith. Now I say that because at his funeral, it wasn't George Whitfield that performed the funeral service, but a guy named Joseph Priestley. And in 1790, when he performed the funeral service, Priestley was a Unitarian pastor. That means that he did not believe in the Trinity. He didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God, and he didn't believe Jesus ever claimed to be the Son of God. So it is possible that the man who penned, prone to wander, himself wandered. Sadly, we don't have to look back to 1790, do we? To find leaders or people or maybe friends who at one point embraced the faith, but today have wandered. Now, why do I bring this up talking about James? Well, go to chapter 5 and look at verse 19 with me. Chapter 5, verse 19, James closes his book with this, with these two verses, with this statement. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I have a hunch, I'll try to prove it to you, that James wrote the book of James so that you and I wouldn't wander. I think the key to interpreting and understanding the book of James is to know that James is, under the power of the Holy Spirit, concerned for you that you might wander. That he has a concern. And the question this morning is, do you have that category in your life? Do you have in your own Daily living, this category that you could wander from Christ. James had this category, and for him it was no small issue. If you look what he says, if someone doesn't bring back the wanderer, they will end up dead. Did you catch that in verse 20? The, the sinner, someone who brings back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. So if the sinner is not brought back from his wandering, his soul will end up dead. So for James, this is a huge issue with a catastrophic end. Every soul, every person in this room will either spend eternity living or dying. 
More important than what you will have for lunch today is to know whether you will spend eternity living or dying. More important than resolving the conflict you have with your spouse on the way to church this morning is whether your soul will spend eternity living or eternity dying. This is James' concern for you. This is God's concern for you. This should be your concern for you. Will I persevere to the end? Now, there's more reasons than just this one verse that I think wandering is the key to understanding the book of James. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, he addresses them as the 12 tribes in the dispersion, which can sound like a confusing phrase. Why does James use this? Why would he bring it up? Certainly they are dispersed after Acts 8 when Stephen stoned, the people are scattered. But I think he brings it up because for them, if they heard the 12 tribes in the dispersion, it triggered back to when God's people wandered in the wilderness. And if that's the case, then the book begins with this idea of wandering and ends with the idea of wandering. And then if that's not enough, if you look at verse 16 of chapter 1, James writes this, Do not be deceived, my brothers. That word deceived is the same word as wandering in chapter 5. So there's a link. And if you have your English Bible, it's not necessarily tightly connected in the Greek, but the principle is the same in verse 22, where he says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So for James, there's this idea that you can be deceived without even knowing it, or maybe knowing it, and end up wandering. You can be tricked. You can be deceived in such a way that you end up a wanderer. So this morning, I just wonder if you are self-aware enough and informed enough by James to believe this. Not about your neighbor. They could wander. But about yourself, about, about you. Is there a place in your own heart where you say, it is possible that over the next one, two, three, five years, I could wander from the faith? Or maybe you've been there. Maybe there was a morning you woke up. And as you woke up, you thought to yourself, how did I get to this place? What happened to my love for Christ? Why am I not even praying anymore? Why is God so distant? How did I get here? Maybe this morning you're a wanderer. I don't know too many of you in this room, but maybe this morning you would say, that's me. I, I've wandered. I am a wanderer. Well, this morning James has some things he wants to say to us in warning. Because in the end, if your soul has wandered and is not brought back, eternity will be death instead of life. So let's define wandering. Let's look at how James defines wandering. If I ask you, you know, describe for me somebody who wanders, the categories that would come to mind to me would be, well, they, they abandon the church. Maybe they've committed adultery. They've gotten some kind of a scandal financially. They, they've, they've wandered. They've gone away. But it's interesting that for James, he doesn't use those kind of categories. If the book of James is about wandering, then all of these topics are ways that you and I can wander. So let me sum them up for you. Let's walk through the book of James very quickly here. Because the things that James draws my attention to, to define what it means to wander, are not the things that I would put on my list. So let's look at them. 
James says you're wandering if you do not consider your trials pure joy. James would say you're wandering if you're rich and you're selfish with your money. A wanderer is someone who is angry and quick to speak. A wanderer is someone who hears God's word but doesn't do it. A wanderer is someone who is out of control with their tongue or doesn't visit orphans or widows or others in their distress. James defines a wanderer as someone who shows partiality to the rich or someone who has faith with no works. God would say wandering is being bitter or having selfish ambition. God would define wandering as someone who quarrels with other people when they don't get what they want. James would say you're wandering if you're making plans without acknowledging the sovereignty of God or if you mistreat or take advantage of people that you have authority over. If you're not patient, you're wandering. If you don't pray or you are prayerless or don't ask for prayer when you're sick, you've wandered. James lumps all of those together and says this is wandering because these all have heart issues behind them. There's something happening in the human heart with each one of these that leads someone to wander. And when they wander in the end, they will end up dead. So welcome to the book of James. So what's going to keep us from wandering? What is it in the book of James that protects us from becoming a wanderer. Well, I think James is going to give us three things. There's probably more in here, but I'm going to highlight three ways this morning that you and I can be kept from wandering. So the first one is this. It's the word community or friendship or having others in your life. We already touched on it. If you look back in chapter 5, verse 19, it seems like there's this very specific role of someone that needs to be in your life that helps keep you from wandering, that actually will help bring you back. So that if you're bitter or your tongue is out of control, you lack self-control and they notice it, there's someone close to you that brings you back. James calls him a brother. I don't know if you caught it, but the word brother is used over 14 times in the book of James, not meaning men as much as just brothers or sisters. There's this idea of brotherhood or sisterhood. So in order for us to be protected from wandering, you need a brother. You need a sister. You need someone in your life who can come alongside of you that you can say to them, in what ways do you think I am prone to wander? Do you have someone you can ask that to? Today, do you have someone you can ask? If I were to wander, or if you think I'm wandering, what, would it, what does it look like to you? Or what lie am I most prone to be deceived by that might cause me to wander? There seems to be a, a role for that in the book of James. Someone who is close to you that you trust. That you want protecting you from wandering. So that's the first. I think this idea of community. The second is this. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, I think James begins this letter in a way that I think helps us to see how to be protected from wandering. Look what he says. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm James and I get to write a letter to the churches, I'm going to begin like Paul or Peter. Like Peter says in 1 Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Or 1 Corinthians where Paul says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle. 
But you notice he doesn't go there. James doesn't go there. James doesn't even play the, the little brother card. Come on. Paul, James. Jesus' little brother. He doesn't go there either. But where does he go? I'm a servant. Yeah, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. So the second thing I think that Peter would, uh, James would say to us is, not only do you need community, but you need to remember that Jesus is your master. Thus, the chain you got this morning. Put it on your key ring or somewhere where you see it regularly to remind yourself that you are a slave, and it has three links. The first is to remind you of community. You need others. The second link, to remind you that you are a slave, a servant to Jesus Christ. Now, I know that that is not a popular thing these days, especially as Americans, right? I want to be the boss. I don't even want to be an employee. I don't want anybody calling the shots, telling me what to do. I am my own independent person. So get off my back, everybody, and leave me alone. But we need to realize that being a servant of Christ is a really good option compared to the slavery that you and I were once in. And James knows that. I think James is very familiar with the fact that at one point he was a slave to sin. And then in order for him to be set free from his sin, Christ had to set him free. And in that process, he now became a slave, a servant to Jesus himself. Jesus is a better master by far. And James is very aware of that. He knows sin is deceptive. It is destructive. It is ruthless. It is a lying master. It doesn't matter, my friends, what the sin is. You, you pick your sin. And in the end, it lies to you. It never gives you what it promises. And in fact, in the end, you end up enslaved to it. As opposed to using it to find the comfort it provided. Or the control it provided. Or whatever it is you were looking for in that sin, it will never produce. You understand that sin is a crappy master. And you and I were born into this world with sin as our master. We were slaves. And if you've turned from your sin and put your faith in Christ, you have been set free from the bondage of sin. Only now to become a bondservant of Christ. He rescued you so that you now could be set free as you cling to him as protection from wandering. Jesus being your master is protection from wandering. You only have two options, my friends. You will either live as a slave to Christ or you will wander as a slave to sin. Either you will wander, wander and end up dead or Jesus will be your master and you will end up alive. Those are the only two options. Now that may sound extreme, a little bit radical, but doesn't Jesus say things like, take up your cross daily and die? Doesn't Jesus say, lose your life and you'll find it? See, James knew Jesus as his master. And now James is a slave of an entirely different kind of master. He has Jesus as his master. So this morning, I ask you, is Jesus your master? Are you a slave to Christ? Do you think of yourself that way? Is that one of the ways you identify? Who are you? I'm a slave to Christ. He's my master. 
He calls the shots. I follow him. Or are you deceived this morning? Maybe thinking that having Jesus as a master is not a good thing. We were driving home from vacation yesterday, and I saw a tractor trailer with a, with a cartoony kind of picture on the back of it with a, I guess it was supposed to be God, I don't know it, big, mean, angry-eyed face with a finger coming out, and it said, Did you pray today? And I thought, I wonder how many people, that's their thought of God. If I say, God's your master, you think, yep, that's what he's doing. Big finger coming down. Is it good news for you to hear Jesus can be your, your master? Is it good news for you to hear that you can be a slave of Jesus? Well, I think James wants to work hard to make sure that we understand who Jesus is so that we will want Jesus to be our master. If you look at verse 1, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think James is linking those together. Jesus is God, and God is Jesus. I think James wants us to see that when he says, I'm a slave to Christ, he's saying, I'm a slave to God, that they are in two and in the same. I believe James is a Trinitarian. I believe he believes that Jesus was and is God. And so in his book, he wants to make sure you and I understand who you are a slave to. Now, this is where we come full circle back to the beginning. We have a list of things that James is about, and I agree with all of these. But it wasn't until I saw a word cloud of the book of James that I realized I had missed the whole point of James. You guys know what a word cloud is? Okay, so a word cloud is where you take the words from, in our case, the book of James... And the more the time, more times the word is used, the larger the font size. So they take all the words from the book of James and they, they calculate, okay, this word is used more times than this, so it's going to be that many more font sizes bigger than the other words. Does that make sense? So I'm, I, like, I, I enjoy visual things. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to see what the word cloud looks like for the book of James. And I'm thinking, what's going to appear biggest? I would think faith maybe works. There's a lot about the tongue and wisdom. I'm, it's sad to say that I had no clue. I was completely in the dark as to what the biggest word was in the book of James. So Rebecca, can you put the word cloud up? What's the biggest word? God. Do you think we missed it? I saw that, and I didn't know whether to cry or laugh. Okay, I've been to, I went to the university to study Bible. <laughs> Almost done seminary. I spent two weeks just reading the book of James over and over, studying it, trying to get an overview of the book of James. If you had said to me, oh, the word God is going to be the biggest in a word cloud because it's used more times proportionally than the other words in the book of James, I would have said, no way. I think maybe we all would have said no way. So let's look at the 19 times. 19, and I think there's more, but I'm going to limit it to 19 times that James uses the word God, Jesus, Lord. And his reason for doing that is because he wants you and I to say, I want this guy to be my master. 
I want him to be my Lord and my King. He wants us to stop and say, it's good to be a slave of Jesus. And so he's going to tell us 19 different things in the book of James about Jesus. So here they are. Let me give them to you. This is number three, if you're taking notes. I think we need to have an ever-increasing vision of the infinite greatness of Christ. And I think what James wants us to have. Is Christ getting greater in your heart every day? Just a little bit. Because that will protect you from wandering. And so here they are, 19. This is your Jesus. This is your master. He is approachable. Jesus gives generously. Jesus promises the crown of life. Jesus never tempts you. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is glorious. Jesus chooses the poor to be rich in faith. Jesus is the one God. Jesus can be your friend. Jesus opposes the proud and arrogant. Oh, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus can draw near to you. Jesus can exalt you. Jesus guides your life. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Jesus is coming back. Jesus does everything in your life with absolute purpose. Jesus never changes. Jesus is compassionate and merciful. Now that's the kind of master I want to have. If I'm going to have a master, I want someone who fits this description. And this, I think, helps cut at what we can think about when we think about being a slave to anyone. You see, God is at the center of the book of James. Really, not your faith or your works. God is the main actor in James, not really you or me and what we do. You see, the good news of the book of James is that God is bigger than your wandering. God is there before you wander. God is there while you are wandering. God is active. God is at the center. So if you read the book of James, if you read the book of James, you study the book of James, you need to remember that the book of James is really not about faith or works or being double-minded or your tongue or being active or money. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And all the ways that he works in your life to keep you from wandering. And our role is to keep you holding how incredibly precious he is. Our role, make sure that your vision of Christ is ever increasing. That he appears in your soul's mind greater today than he did yesterday. And he'll be greater tomorrow than he was today. You don't want to wander? Pursue Christ. Seek him. Run after him. Desire him more than anything else. If I were to sum up the message of James, I think it could look something like this. I'm not sure this is the best definition or way to sum it up, but from just the overview, I would say that James is about with Jesus as our master and brothers at our side, we can fight wandering through faith and works. I think there's a summary for us. So as you read the book of James, I encourage you to read the book of James this week. Recognize that every command comes from Jesus who is your master. That you need brothers at your side in order for you to fight wandering. And then you need to live a life of faith and works together. 
That really is the book of James. It's a combination of those things. So this morning, I want to just close by asking you a couple of questions. Just some things to consider. First would be this. Do you know someone who's wandering? Do you know someone who's wandering? Do you recognize that according to James 5, God has positioned you to be friends with that person to help them come back? Now, for some of you hear that, and you're probably scared. Like, I would never do that. Maybe you're afraid of, that you'll mess it up. Maybe you're afraid of how they'll respond. I want to encourage you this morning that one of the three ways, one of the three links that keeps you and your friends from wandering is other believers. Other believers who are able, able to come into your life. The question is, will you be a James 5.20 person? willing to take the risk in love, patience, to help a wanderer come back, to pursue a wanderer. If you do, you'll be blessed and you'll save their soul from death. Or maybe this morning you're not wandering. Maybe you're just here and you think everything's going fine. I want to go back to the questions I asked earlier and encourage you to look somebody in the eye this week and say, What do you think the clearest way is that I would wander? Are there any ways you see me wandering? Where am I prone to be deceived that could end up in my wandering from the faith? Or maybe you're here this morning and you you are a wanderer and you know you are. Like, I've just wandered. Maybe this is your first time back to church in a long time. Or maybe you keep coming, but you're just, eh, whatever. And you know you've wandered. I'd want to leave you this morning with the seriousness of your wandering. Death is coming. And you will either spend eternity dying or you will spend eternity living. And I would want to encourage you not to leave here today a wanderer. That you've got a really, really good master who just wants to love you and bless you and care for you and welcome you back. He wants to be close to you. And he's here for you. And it doesn't matter how much you've wandered, how far you've wandered, what you've done. It doesn't matter. If it mattered, we'd all be screwed. It's because of what he's done. It's because of Christ and who he is and the fact that he loves to pursue. So I would encourage you this morning, return to your God. He loves wanderers. If you look at the whole book of James, it's really Jesus just flipping everything that we believe in our earthly and worldly economy upside down on its head. Everything's reversed. So why wouldn't this be reversed too? Our God is a God who loves to welcome back wanderers. So this morning, return to him. and Find all the joy and all the hope that you've been seeking in other things. Let me pray. We have time to sing a song. Let me pray as, as the band, I guess. Yeah. As the band comes on up. Do you want to stand? Let's stand together. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are so not like us. Lord, we're so grateful. I know, Lord, when someone wanders from me, my desire to pursue them is not real high, especially if I've been hurt. And yet you can be hurt over and over again by wanderers. And the moment we turn to you, you are there, open-armed, smile on your face, ready to embrace and love and receive and welcome back every last wanderer. And so we praise you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the hundreds of times that you have welcomed back every person in this room in the times that we've wandered, whether it's been small or whether it's large. Thank you for what you've done. And I want to ask you to, Holy Spirit, to strengthen my friends in this room who have friends who are wandering. Lord, give them courage. Give them love. Give them faith to go after that person, to speak lovingly and patiently with them. And Lord, I I ask that that individual would be eager on the receiving end to repent, to return, to change their direction, start walking back in fellowship with you. So I pray you'd work in those who are going to pursue wanderers, and I pray that you'd work in those who have wandered. Lord Jesus, we believe you are in the business of saving souls from death. Something you love to do. We believe, Father, that you love to apply the work of your Son to the lives of sinful people. And so, Spirit, we pray you would do that. Take the work of Christ, apply it to the hearts of people who've wandered, and bring them back to yourself. And Jesus, I ask that you would help us to perceive just how great you really are. Lord, our eyes get so clouded, so distracted. I ask that you would help each one in this room this week to perceive you for how glorious you really are. Help us to love you and treasure you and walk with you and stand in awe of you. And may we be like little kids, amazed at who you are. Refresh us that way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.